Hello and welcome to the Open Fire Podcast. Uh, 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 <laughs> I knew he was going to mess me up. <laughs> welcome to the Open Fire Podcast, a light-hearted, the intro would suggest that, an informative show looking at fire safety. We are your hosts, Tom and Dave. You're listening to episode two of our 10-part mini-series, Tom and Dave talk about fire doors. If you're listening to this, you found us somehow, but don't forget, we're also available on iTunes, YouTube, and our ancestral home, openfirepodcast.com. Hello, David. Hello, Thomas. Does it still amaze you that we're on iTunes as dads? I know. It's um, it's an expensive process, isn't it, being on iTunes? I never realised. <laughs> I know. <laughs> do, do, does your partner know that you're funding this? Along? Because my, my wife doesn't. My, my girlfriend doesn't even know I'm doing a podcast. She For- thinks I am... Uh, at Sainsbury's. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> when the wives go and say, oh, so what are you doing today? And say, we create a podcast. And they yeah. go, oh, what was that about? You say, fire doors. And they Shopping. say, I'm not going to listen to that. Yeah. If we were talking to Beyonce, they'd want to know, wouldn't they? Okay. Um, that was a bit so something banter. we neglected to mention in our last episode was that we, we're in new premises again, aren't we? We are. We've moved studios to Spiritland in King's Cross, which is an awesome studio, I've got to say. It's really, really good. It's lovely, isn't it? Do they give you a discount if you say how good it is? Depends how many Sam times we say. No. <laughs> Sam was going, is no. He, he oh, is. Well. He is. He's naked again. Maybe we'll get lunch on the house or something like that. <laughs> well, ironically, it's at the back of a restaurant, but it is a very professional sound studio. And it's a very cosmopolitan restaurant as well, isn't it? We felt a little bit it out is. of place at first. Yeah, ham hock sandwich, 12 quid. Be- I mean, being over 25, we... Uh, yeah, we, we're debt, too old for this, yeah. but we've got someone in here who's definitely too old for it and someone who's probably young enough to appreciate it. <laughs> we do have guests with us today, don't we? We do. It's hard to believe that people come in and put their careers on the line for us to, isn't it? Okay, so who we got in the studio, Tom? So we've got a friend of the show, Danny White. The brilliant Danny White, who we've had on before. Rapturous applause. Um, yeah. And he was such a good guest, very informative, very amusing and has, always has a good story for us, doesn't he? Absolutely. And in and, the current climate, he's the only consultant that's not busy. So, you know, thought we'd give him a shout. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello, Danny. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for coming again. That's all right. I know you've got other things to be doing, like looking after the, your millions of clients with fire door problems. Um, and who else have we got, Dave? We've also got Alfie from uh, Shellen Doors. Shellen Security. Shellen Security. Get it right, Dave. Get it right. <laughs> Crikey, you bought him a beer at lunch. Um, Um, Yes, okay, so what are we going to talk about today, Dave? Okay, so today we're going to talk about regulations and requirements. So we're going to cover building reg expectations, what a fire risk assessor looks for, key dimensions. Fire door features will be a good place to start. I think, bearing in mind, this is the second episode of the series. I think we should start from basics and really try and dumb it down a little bit okay. before we go up to full supersonic speeds on fire door information, throwing it at our listeners. Before we start talking standard numbers and parts. And before we start talking in British standard numbers, yep. yeah. So why don't we go through, I think perhaps a nice way to do it. I've we... got a box, and in my box I have. That's what we're going to play. Is this a, a, a normal game you play? It's one I played in the car with my daughter. Okay. So Tom's now got a box on the desk. What you've got to do, everything I say that's in my box, you've got to remember it and then add something to the box and then we do it to and fro. Right, okay. In Let's a box. Go. But it's got to be about five Let's doors. go before everyone turns off. I've got a box in my box. I have a door leaf uh, handle. Uh, you've got to say a door leaf a a do- handle. A door leaf and a handle. Door leaf, a handle, a threshold. Hang on, I'm writing this down. Okay, let's stop. It's all bollocks. Right. Anyway, moving on. Go on, Dave, tell me. What are we going to talk about today? Who are you asking a question to? Let's go. 
Okay, so can we describe the types and construction of doors, key features and what's most, what are the most important in terms of when they go wrong? Let's start with Danny. When they go wrong, what's the more significant features that are likely to cause the, the, the major problems? Well, I, I think the biggest issue you've got is when you're putting in a door and you haven't got the faintest idea what you're putting in. So you've got no idea whether it's going to go right or wrong. Um, but then if you're looking at a fire door as a whole, and excuse the pun, the more holes you put in it, the weaker it becomes. So if you've got, say, a solid door blank and you cut glass panels in it, it becomes weaker. If you put a letterbox in it, it becomes weaker as well. So these are all the things you need to look at. And the other important thing, which is neglected a lot, but is so important, is the actual installation of the door. Because if that goes wrong, what's the point of putting a new door in there in so the first So picking up on that point, there's a common issue of people will attach something to the door, their front entrance door or something like that. It might be a number, a door number or something like that, and they'll put it in with a screw. Cat flap. And it might be, or, or cat, cat flap's a bit more drastic. I was thinking a little bit smaller level than that. Maybe just using some screws to go into the door. Realistically, how much damage does that really do to the fire door? It's, it's not the manufacturer's screw. It's like a half-inch screw to hold on a number nine really it's not going to be too or cause too many issues on that one as long as they use a small screw and not one that's going to drill through the hole of the door okay i'm looking across at alfie now so if somebody put a small half inch screw into one of your doors to hold a number nine on there what's your opinion of how much damage that does to your shell and door we would advise they didn't use anything that isn't supplied with the doors or that hasn't been advised by us as, as appropriate. However, small screws and things like that, they're not really going to affect our door set too much because it is it is a robust door set in, in, in its construction anyway. Um, but they should really avoid attaching anything to it that isn't there already. One thing I'd just like to add is I'm, I'm dealing with one local authority at the moment and they're doing a lot of converted street properties and the problem they have at the moment is that the door supplier cannot get enough of the letter B. So if anyone's got a load of letter Bs out there, please can they let them be sent down so we can give them to the local authority. Brilliant. Why are there so many Bs? It doesn't make any... Why, why B? I don't know. It's <laughs> Maybe there's just a national supply shortage of B. I said, well, can't you go for a P or something like that? Or, yeah, or a nine, turn it around the other way. Or two A's. So looking a little <laughs> bit more at the uh, various features of the door, so what are the glazing requirements? Can we, can we summarise them fairly easily for the listener? Yeah, if you're looking at a standard fire door, you need to ensure you've got fire glass on the inside and an insulated panel on the outside. But a lot of, uh, sort of local authorities are going down the secure by design routes, which means that you need to have security glass on the outside, fire glass on the inside. But you have to bear in mind, these have to have been tested for multi-directional. That's right, because the the fire glass, if it's not the correct fire glass, will, will also allow um, a lot of heat for it, which will affect the counterpane. So it could melt and start a fire on the other side. And although the fire hasn't broken through the door set or the, the fire glass, the heat is allowed to transfer through. So our chippy goes to stick in a fire door. Might be one of your fire doors, Alfie, yep. uh, from Shellen. But he, he's, a, he's a carpenter by trade, fairly good, but not affiliated or, or sort of um, certificated in any specific way. Would I be right in thinking there's no sort of strict governance on installation? You would be right. There isn't any strict governance. There's only advice um, and specifications written by certain clients where they might ask for a third-party um, accredited door installer 
So that would depend on where the client is getting their advice from. If their fire consultants are yeah. writing a spec for them that identifies that. Of course. And it would also, you know, on their own awareness, how, how much they think that's appropriate. Do they think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to warrant the additional cost of a third-party accredited installer? Mm -hmm. Or do they want to continue down the road, potentially, of unaccredited installers installing their fire doors? Well, I think it's also the competency of the people installing the door and also the management of it. Because I was involved in one scheme and I said to the, to, the, to the team leader, have you got any installation instructions? And he said they weren't supplied. And I thought, well, that's funny because we'd just come out of their container. And attached to every door was a copy of their installation instructions. And again, you have to bear in mind that the installation instructions are probably written in English. Is everyone who's installing that door able to read that? So again, there needs to be some sort of supervision, an aspect of, well, if we don't know how to do it, who do we turn to? Okay. Well, so, can I ask a question, Dave? Uh, you we may, move Tom. On? You may. Is that all right? Uh, yeah. What's, is what's, it to do with fire doors? <laughs> can I go to the toilet, please? <laughs> um, what, what's the, we're talking about sort of accredited installers, what's the impact, this is a question to you, I guess, Alfie, what's the impact to a, a certificated door, as in one primary test evidence, tip-top door, being installed badly? What difference does that make to your your door? It could actually mean whether the door's going to perform under, uh, un, if there was a fire or whether it's going to fail. So it is quite significant, in fact, is almost as significant as, well, it probably is as significant as the, the door manufacturer itself. But they're two different items that you that you need yeah. in order to be to, to have a compliant door set by, by the end of the installation. Do manufacturer's warranties require a third-party certificated installer? I mean, does, does poor installation negate your warranty, for example? Yes, of course. So if we were to undertake a supply-only contract, then we would stipulate that we want a third-party accredited installer to undertake the works, and obviously that, that scheme would need to be accredited to UCAS. So well. so basically what we're saying is if someone goes to the... the When I say the lengths, like in, in a way that you don't actually have to get a third-party certificated door, I mean, we'll talk about that in later episodes, but if someone's gone to the, the trouble of getting a third-party certificated door and it turns up on site and they install it with someone who isn't third-party certificated, even if they've installed it perfectly, it can effectively negate your warranty. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, so also, and then, it's not necessarily a question about having certificated people installing it or not. Ultimately, if you've got a third-party certificated door and you don't use a third-party certificated installer, your warranty's gone anyway. Yeah, of course, because it, you know you, you don't know how they've installed it, what have they installed it to. Yeah. Um, because it's not only instructions, as, as Danny mentioned earlier, but they need to have a level of experience and they need to have a level of training to know that, that yeah. each door that they install, the individual or the company, are going to perform consistently over time. We actually undertook a supply-only contract not too long ago, this year. And the door sets that we supplied were installed by a third-party accredited installer. Mm -hmm. A client called me at half past five on a Friday afternoon, which is always nice because you know it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And the door sets that were installed, they, they removed some architrave and uh, there was no fire protection installed, no, no, no completion of the compartment line at all. And these were on our door sets, so yeah. these were third part. These are these are fully certified, fully compliant door sets that have yeah. been installed badly by a third party certificated contractor. As by well. a third party, so third party installer isn't a panacea. You can still get a third party contractor that balls yeah, it up. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's a 
you, you don't just achieve that title and then all of a sudden everything you do is is compliant. You know, yeah, you have to maintain it. Yeah, of course you have to. Well, well, they they have to do it right in the first place. That the people they employ have to be trained correctly. Danny, to what extent in your experience, do people who are I'm not going to talk about third party certification specifically, <laughs> but in terms of installers, yeah. how often do installers get it wrong with a third party certificated door set? Forget about the installer quality. You know. How many people out there have got a third-party certificated door, primary test evidence that's been installed by someone who has installed it wrong? I'd probably say it's at least 50%. Really? As much yeah. as that? An example was I was with the Housing Association this week. We had 13 doors to look at, took off the architraves, and there was nothing there. So it was a case of, well, why bother? Yeah. But the client was annoyed because these doors, the installer had given them a piece of paper saying it's been installed properly. Yeah. But yet it's putting them at jeopardy because all of a sudden they know it isn't. And of every single door, there wasn't a door that was even being close to being installed right. Some of the issues were we could rip off the architraves with our hand and you had like a 50 mil gap filled with foam. Brown yeah, foam. okay. Mm, stop the podcast, stop the podcast. What? <laughs> Why on earth are you stopping the podcast, David? To remind our listeners that this series of Dave and Tom Talk About Fidals is officially sponsored by the creators of the MyQTag app. That sounds interesting, Dave. What is the MyQTag app? MyQTag provides a user-friendly cloud-based system for contractors that carry out installation and maintenance services at multiple sites. That sounds great, Dave. Can it, can it deliver improved efficiency and provide real-time reporting to your customers? Certainly can, Tom. MyQTag can store documents, be they FRAs, maintenance records, or compliance certificates against the specific building. You may tell by my face, Dave, that I am stunned. You do look stunned. So it probably enables Fidor installers to report installation and provide photographic evidence. Sure does, Tom. Plus, a QR code and an NFC tag can be provided for each area of works. So if I want to know more information, Dave, I guess I should just email sales at myqtag.co.uk for further information, right? Damn right. Shall we carry on with the podcast in our usual independent, informative and lightly humorous manner? I, I think we should probably consider it. Okay, moving on with our conversation. Danny, you were mentioning about the glazing. What other requirements are being ignored, uh, like the requirements for thermal acoustics, security? Um, obviously, we're focusing on fire. This is the Open Fire podcast. But um, is that the detriment of um, other important qualities of a, a fire door? Yes, it is, because at the end of the day, we have to adhere to the building regulations. And if we're not adhering to the build, building regulations, we're causing issues. And again, we were on site a few weeks ago and somebody produced a global assessment saying this door should work okay for fire. But then we turned around and said, well, it also needs to meet the requirements for thermal and security. They just sort of said, shut up and said, yeah, we need to replace them then because we haven't got any evidence of that. So where people look at this sort of piecemeal approach to one element of the building regulations, in other areas, you can't do it. It has to be primary tested. The other areas, Danny, are how the door should perform every day, not just in the event of a fire. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So security, you want your door, you want your property to be secure every day. You know, you want you want obviously the, the thermal values to be there and, and, and everything, don't you? And I think also when you speak to the residents, they're more concerned about being burgled than they are being in a fire. Exactly. So therefore security takes precedent for them. But of that's course. why you need a door which is tested for both fire and security 
and smoke as the complete unit. Because again, I've come across doors where they said they've got all the testing evidence, but it's three different doors. We just want the one door. Yeah, exactly. And for us, Danny, in order to achieve compliance across all the regulations, it's you know it's, it's hard because fire and security, a lot of the time, they, they want different things. Oh, absolutely. You know, a secure door don't necessarily want, they don't want a thumb turn on it. If they do, you have to have certain levels of security glazing and, and other features. Yeah, and again, this is where you get the piecemeal approach just doesn't work because people don't understand the regulations and how it's going to affect the day-to-day lives of people. Absolutely. What a lovely point. Mm. <laughs> Dave looks like he drifted off there, but I thought... Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Did you? Yeah. No, I wasn't going well, to. I think we should close this conversation. What, what if, if there was one bit of kit on a fire door yeah. that, if everything else fell off, is the most important thing, just going around the table... You can only name one feature. Yeah. And you're not allowed to say the door leaf because that goes without saying. That was my answer. <laughs> but what would be the the fundamentally the most important that you would say? If everything else was to fall off. Yeah. There'd be nothing left on it. Yeah. In I mean, you'd, you'd have some you'd have some pretty big issues, but um What what's the what's the the, the main most important item you'd say on a fire door? I mean, it, I'm going to go door closer. It's not yeah, a. You it, go, it's not a I'm going to say hinges, otherwise, it, <laughs> otherwise, it's just going to fall out the hole. Looking from what we do as a company, we can't really put, base it down to one. But I suppose the hinges. <laughs> Tom, I had to say one. Um, I'm going to say the door closer, David. Yeah, I think I would agree with Danny as well. The, <laughs> the self closer. Um, I think purpose-built blocks of flats almost identifies that um, if nothing else, if you can't change or upgrade or ensure it's serviceable, then the, the, the self-closed device does keep it closed in the frame. What's the fire resistance of a 60-minute door, Dave, that's open? I reckon it's zero minutes. Correct. There you go. There you go. On what, what, about minute, what about 30 minute fire <laughs> yeah. door? Uh, 30 minute fire doors perform slightly worse. Okay, we need to move on. So we've got our weekly fire safety, non-fire safety quiz. <laughs> Last week we quizzed Tom and he's currently top of our leaderboard with a score of one point. Um, I think that might last more than one episode. I think that might win it, Tom. I think you might have really won it. So who who are we going to ask? I think we can only have one guest go through the quiz this week. Uh, do, do we want to do Danny or shall we ask Alfie? I'm going to put Alfie on the spot this week. Okay, Alfie, are you up for your one minute fire safety, non-fire safety quiz? I am. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to set the timer. Yep. Um, yeah. You're going to have to ask very quickly because your time will run out. So try not to spend too long thinking about these answers, Okay. You tell me when you're ready and I will start the clock. I'm ready. What creatures is it illegal to maltreat in Maryland? Lobsters. Oysters. If you're wearing a swimsuit in Florida in public, what is it illegal for you to do? Take it off. Oh, yeah, take it off. Nope, sing. According to Massachusetts <laughs> law, what can you not do to a pigeon? Kick the pigeon. Scare it. <laughs> oh, I look, should we there. give him half a mark? That, that was that? half a mark. By law, what is it against the law to do in Minnesota... With your washing line. Tightrope walk. Mm, yeah, tightrope walk. Mix male and female washing together. Right. You have got 15 Edit. seconds left, yeah, uh, Alfie. Yeah, quick, I need another Hugh one. Hefner's jet plane was named what? Playgirl. Big bunny. <laughs> Last question. In what European okay. city can you be jailed for? For not killing furry caterpillars. <laughs> for not killing furry caterpillars. Yes. European capital city we're looking for. Ooh. Um, Rome. Brussels, interestingly. <laughs> and that's so, a reason to remain. I'm just going to top up those scores <laughs> yeah. for Alfie. Yep, 
No, that's zero points for Alfie. That was half a mark. So the good, yeah, half a mark. Oh. So you're currently in second place on our leaderboard, <laughs> Alfie. Out of two, <laughs> Tom's on one, uh, soaring away, <laughs> nail ball fighting half, and uh, Alfie's on half. Uh, Danny, we're going to have you late back in, later in the series, and we will put your general knowledge to the test. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, well, we're going to close it out there. Thank you for listening to Tom and Dave on the Open Fire podcast. And also, Danny, thank you. And Alfie, thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and YouTube to make sure you don't miss out on the next exciting, inverted commas, really, instalment. Which will be next week. It will be. If you'd like to contact us or comment on anything you've heard in today's podcast, or if you'd like to be involved in future episodes, sponsor us or be involved in future discussions, please go to openfirepodcast.com where you'll be able to find contact details and email addresses such as Dave and Tom at openfirepodcast.com. Cool. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Tom, and thanks for our guests. Cheers, guys. Cue that Thank funky you. music again. Uh, 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 uh